a this is a pro setup right here. This where you what's up? What does that say? Oh, this? I thought you said your shirt. No, no. I was, I was saying I'm keeping I'm keeping the compliment on on there. Um, no. Uh, what, what were you gonna ask? Uh, I don't remember. Charlie R and D podcast episode ninety three. All right, we we'd usually have the TV on there to make it less uh or like a background, but that's kind of funny. We're we're talking to somebody. Uh, this is Alex Caravan, VP of Business Ops, drinking a fresh Rainier. Uh, Josh Hedgeka, uh, Bebop's intern, uh, pitcher for the New York Mets, uh, various baseball fan, and you know, researcher and all that. And I'm drinking a Stuff Plus, you know, Saris, West Coast DIPA edition. Let's go. Cheers. Cheers. This this is the beer you gave me? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I ran over, bro. We're running running like my best. (laughs) I, I, I just I just default this a, always is this a tap prank it. show. <laughs> I just eat, I just default always tap the top of the can. I've just been uh I've either been pranked or pranked too many people before. There, there, there's there's like one time I mean just a, just a dumb story already, but to, to kind of set the mood already on the podcast. There's one time there's some random uh, not in college. Me and my friend were like about to hand a, a beer can to to one of our friends to like we were doing like some, some stupid like some chug race or something, and he like went in a bathroom right before, and we literally there's like a mattress on the ground. We just spent like two minutes just slamming the beer can into the mattress back and forth and then just gave it to him when he, when he came and it just like it just like absolutely exploded like yeah, so we, we just got that on a, a light yeah. version of that right now yeah the... um but anyways dude good, good to have you on uh started working on driveline in what december january yeah december right yeah like december yeah. time yeah yeah um and at the time you were you were, you were training i mean you just went you just got up the call, call up the triple a last year yep and you're looking to start the season do you, do you know where you're going to start the season before the TJ? So, yeah, it's probably going to start in either double A AA or triple A, depending on, you know, obviously how this offseason went and how, you know, I progressed in my training. But, um, yeah, was coding a little too much and ended up tearing my UCL. Uh, so, got TJ last, last, I think it was literally exactly a month ago today. Um, so, yeah, the full reconstruction and internal brace on top of it. So, it should be doubly strong. No, no more, no more carpal tunnel or anything like that from any of my coding. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's, I, I run the interns in the ground. Multiple interns have had to get TJ after uh, starting to work at Driveline. Now, uh, so so when, when, did you, when did you suspect you might have to get it? So I originally tore my UCL in 2020 over yeah. COVID. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was throwing a bullpen, felt a pop. And mm-hmm. at that time, I think, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I think the, the, it was the previous Mets ownership and uh, they didn't want to pay for me to get an MRI. So yeah. I ended up just not getting an MRI and tried to rehab it and uh ended up rehabbing it coming back my velo was a little down uh but you know i felt good and ended up gaining that velo back and you know had had a lot of success over these last two seasons at the end of this last season i uh started feeling it again in the in my elbow and you know tried rehabbing it through it again and just could never get back to 100 percent. so figured long-term outlook of my career is, is the best decision to, to get it taken care of and hopefully come back you know throwing four miles an hour harder which would still be thrower than slower than Tom Hackamer, but it's okay. Um, so were you always a side armor or did you ever shift your arm slot? Like, yeah. So up? in high school, my college, sorry, my high school coach, Tony DeMar, the legend shout out. He uh, basically came up to me. And so the previous season I'd played second base and I think I set the state record for most errors in a season. Um, I think it was probably like 30 plus. And he basically came up to me and he was like, your you know, side we, armor. <laughs> like you can't do that anymore. You can't hit. You weigh 140 pounds and you throw 75 miles an hour. 
um, if you want to play, you're going to have to like try something different. So he's like, what do you like to do best hitting, pitching, fielding, whatever. And I was like, I, I definitely prefer pitching. Uh, so he, he helped me, um, along with, with, uh, our catcher at the time. Um, we worked basically every weekend in the fall and, and lowered my arm slot. And, uh, it, it was a little bit of a rough start. Actually, my first two appearances, I think I walked 10 or 12 guys total. Yeah. Um, but after that I ended up getting a spot start against the, the best state in the school, best school in the state. And, uh, you know, had, had a really good start and it was, it was, it was a good time after that. Uh, yeah. You know, haven't closed the yearbook, still talking about my high school glory days here, but yeah, yeah. uh, yeah, it was, it's, and I ended up getting recruited to Johns Hopkins after that, which is division three in Maryland, um, played all four years there, uh, ended up graduating in 2019, played indie ball for a little bit and then got signed from the Mets from there. Nice. Nice. Um, the only interaction I have with Johns Hopkins is. Do you remember, or, or, or I mean, I don't know. If, I don't know. If, do you remember the right question? Because, like, I don't know if they even still do this program. Uh, did you ever hear like Sean Hopkins, like Center for Talented Youth or something? You know what I'm talking about? No, it doesn't sound familiar. It, it was like a program I did. I did in middle school. It was basically like, uh, I mean, it was, it was some nerdy, is some nerdy ass shit. You had to like take the SAT in middle school to qualify, and it, like John Hopkins like ran a program, but basically it was like taking like uh like summer like intro college courses in like a in, like sort of like a boot camp type type situation. What was it called the Center for? I think it was called like John Hopkins Center for Talented Youth, and, and then uh, what's trying, to, trying to brag. I'm <laughs> talented, dog. I used to be talented. Uh, um, not bro. I, I, I you, want, you want to hear what my SAT score was in middle in seventh grade? What was it? No, I, I, I make me feel bad about myself. Or? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I can't say. Well, I, I, first off, the SAT is just like completely. Oh, dude, this podcast off to a bad start. I'm I'm already I'm already flexing. You got me flexing hard on my middle school SAT scores. No, I, I, I I'm uh, I, I'm. I know the SAT like biases, like, I, like I get a very, I'm biased to perform best on SAT. Okay. Like, I'm just good at like the, yeah. the stuff they test on. Like, I think even more so than in the ACT. Um, but I think, I, I think in middle school, I, I think it was like 1800 something. And then you had to like, I think like out of 1600, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> they only, they only let people over 1600, uh, qualify in. But anyways, um, I'll, so, so, so yeah. So, you were, you were side you were sidearm though from the beginning. Yeah, when I was. You were pitching. Yep. So I I got recruited to Hopkins as a sidearmer, and actually, yeah, most people only know Hopkins from the uh, from the Step Brothers. No, they know from the Center for Talented Youth, yeah, bro. That's, that, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I'm trying to talk um, about. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I got recruited to Hopkins as a sidearmer. They had actually had a sidearmer who had graduated, I think, like a year or two before I got there. So the coach Bob Babb, another legend, shout out. He uh, he's been there like 40 years, and he was like, oh, we just had success with the sidearmer, might as well like recruit another one. Yeah. And, uh, ended up going there. How's your arsenal changed over the years? Uh, so in college, I was probably 95% fastballs and 5% sliders for balls. Um, that's that's basically all the all my college coaches would would call at the time. And you know, I mean, it, was, it it worked, especially at the Division three level. There is, um, it, it, like you could get by with with a like a decently like a decent fastball. Um, in pro ball, I, I started developing a slider and it wasn't great until this past year. I actually came to dri- driveline, worked with Langan. Yeah. Uh, we developed like this rising slider similar to Tyler Rogers. And, you know, I, I had a lot of success with it this last year. Got a lot more swings and misses. You know, it felt like it was the first time in my life where I could throw a breaking ball and like be aggressive with it in, yeah. in advantage counts and like actually get swings and misses or, or like weak contact. And, uh, so I think that's been a huge change for my career. And I also added a cutter this last year. Okay. Nice. Um, yeah, I know the, sw- the sweeper was like the big trend last year and then like the cutter this year. So I was a little ahead of the curve there. Nice. You know? Um, 
And, and TJ is going to be a, an even bigger trend an off season from now. So, so you're yeah, jumping you know, the yeah. bionic arm will hopefully, uh, hopefully get me closer to the Tom Hackamer school of 95 mile an hour sidearm fastballs. Um, I, so I was going to ask you, I mean, you mentioned working with Langan, who, who's a director of pitching now and, um, has worked with a bunch of big leaguers at this point. What, what, what what's the, what's the perspective from, from your point of view, right? As someone who is, is pretty well ingrained with, I think a lot of uh, advanced analytics that are happening now, uh, nowadays, uh, just comfortable with the technology readings that, that again, this is like, this is, I think people out on driveline or, or hear about driveline, maybe take it as, as an assumption that everyone's at least at that base level coming in. I, I don't think that's the case. I think there's plenty of people that are still kind of like, oh, that's weird. Oh, that's spin axis. Like, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, what, what, what's your perspective when you kind of come in with a game plan or, or have like a driveline pitch design trainer devise a game plan for you? Like what goes into that? What's the communication back and forth? Um, yeah, talk to me about that. So I think there's like, there's two major aspects to this. And I think one's from like a understanding, like pitching success and understanding pitching, um, like evaluation side of things. And then the other side is like an actual development side of things. So yeah. I'm gonna speak to the, the first one first, you know, a lot of organizations have moved away from evaluating guys on, you know, ERA, like, oh, how, how many, you know, you know, for, for hitters, it's Win, the same baby. Thing, like batting average. Yeah. Wins, saves, like. Like yeah. uh, maybe maybe uh, never mind. I'm not gonna name drop any organizations, but uh, there's maybe some organizations that are still right. still in that that context. But uh, you know, I think it's important to understand why those metrics are used in the first place, right? So we're, we've gone away from that. So if you look at that um, metric, such as FIP, Sierra, which honestly those are even probably a little outdated at this point. Yeah. Um, but why are those used, right? Like the reason. ERA predictors such as FIP and Sierra are used are because they're better at predicting future ERA yep. than ERA, yep. right? So, you know, if you understand what goes into that, you know, you get a lot of strikeouts, you don't walk a lot of guys and you don't give up a lot of home runs. Like even if your results are unlucky or yep. like bad in one year, yeah. like you're going to have, you're on average, you're going to have more success in the future. Yep. And so I think understanding the type of results you want as a pitcher is extremely, extremely important. I'm sure there's an application on the hitting side where you talk about like hitting the ball hard, even if it's, you know, right at guys yeah. or whatever, like you get unlucky in, in terms of that. But, you know, understanding that like, and when you do give up balls in play, if those can be ground balls versus, you know, you know, hard hit fly balls, obviously that's, that's better too. So understanding what you want to go after as a pitcher, like you want strikeouts, you don't want walks, you don't want home runs. And if, if you can control the balls in play, you know, preferably ground balls versus fly balls. So I think understanding why that's important is, is the first step. And then taking that into the development side of things and understanding what's what pitches can I throw that'll help me get there, get there. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So and and, you know, that's where things like stuff, stuff models come in where yeah. you you can understand how your pitch would play relative to um, the league context and say like, OK, you know, in a vacuum, this pitch is like a 112 stuff plus it's 12 percent better than an MLB average pitch. Yeah. And what that means is on average, you're going to get those those optimal results. You know, maybe it's a little. I think stuff models are usually trained on like run value or something like that. So yeah. it's not exactly like K's walks home runs, but if you, if you can optimize your run value using those pitches, I think that's, ex it's extremely, you know, it's extremely important and, and getting that instant feedback from TrackMan and then like running it through the stuff model and seeing like, okay, these specific metrics, like, okay, where can we, where can we make improvements? For example, my slider, I came in and it was crappy. It was slow. It didn't really move a lot. You know, I had, it may be negative 10 inches of sweep on, on my good ones, but it was so slow that it didn't really matter. It was like 72, 73. And obviously I'm a submariner, so it's a little bit slower to begin with. Um, but to be a playable pitch at the professional level, it just has to be harder. And 
So that's what something that's something Langan and I talked about is either making it a little harder or making it move more. Yeah. Um, so we, we kind of played around with like an overhand sweeper grip. And if you think about an overhand sweeper grip, just rotated, that kind of leads to the rising effect of the slider that, that I was throwing. So um, we played around with that on the TrackMan, getting that instant feedback, trying different grips and, and found something that worked. And I think that's a extremely valuable process, tying all those pieces together and understanding why it'll help you have success on the field. When you start getting a feel for it, right? Because in pit design, we kind of have, we've tr traditionally had, you know, you throw your arsenal, the, the, the pit design trainer gets a feel for what you actually throw. Then maybe next session you kind of start implementing or, or playing around with an active like game plan. Like I want to change my slider this way. Then like another pit design session, like maybe all right, like did, did the gains or not gains, but like did, did the change in shape of your pitches hold? Maybe try it on live at bats, kind of come back. What was that process for, uh, like for you when did you start getting really comfortable with the overhand slider? Yeah, so I, I, I in September, right after the season, that's when I came out to driveline, and that's when I started working on it with with Lang. And we had we had a pretty good feel for the the shape and the like how it was coming out of my hand, like the grip. And throughout the off season, I was working on it, and I noticed that I it's a good point you brought up because I, I noticed I didn't really maintain the shape super yeah. well. Like it was it was very hit or miss. There were times where I threw it really well, times where I didn't. Um, and I actually played around with the grip a little bit, made a slight adjustment where I kept basically the same grip, but I added a thumb tuck. Yeah. Um, and that allowed me to more consistently get the, the right shape. So basically just working on it through the off season, this might sound crazy, but I was actually long tossing my slider quite a bit. Um, really exaggerating the, the yeah. effects of the movement and seeing how it would, how it would go. And so someone, someone's casting it and then it's, it's just, it just has a ton of late break or. Yeah. Or, so it's pretty funny because you have to like, it, it looks like it kind of like rises yeah. up and yeah. then it like falls back down because if it's coming up and then it's, yeah. sorry if I uh, got some feedback on the mic there, but, uh, the yeah it like rises up and then like falls back down it's pretty funny but um it, it, same thing when i long toss my fastball i have to start at like 30 feet up into the left of the of the guy i'm trying to throw it to and it just like boomerangs back down um so it's yeah. always interesting long tossing from from the lower slot but yeah yeah so throughout the off season basically just working on it and by the time the season came around i had a pretty good feel for it so this last season um i was i was checking your fan graphs uh before to, so to make sure i kind of got, got got this right but you went you went um uh high a to double a to triple a yeah so i started in, i started in high a um probably for the first three weeks of the season spent the majority of the season in, in double a and then um at the end of the year i actually had two starts in triple a i was kind of like a spot start and was supposed to supposed to finish the year there but unfortunately uh had an injury so i had to shut down my shut down the season a couple couple weeks early um but yeah that's the the, the progression from last year how is it like did, did you did you know coming in did you expect to be rising through through the ranks or or was it like i mean i know i know you didn't give up a run in, in high a right yeah i had i had a i had a really good good session like honestly i think so in 2021 i actually had a similar progression where i started the season in, in high a and but actually spent most of the year there um but when guy when they needed a guy to fill a spot in double a and triple a i got to fill spots there in 2021 as well um and after excuse me going through that in 2021 and, and developing in the off season i was I was a little mad that I started in, in high A, or, or not necessarily mad, but I felt like I yeah. had definitely, yeah. I, I could definitely go out there and out execute anybody. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of where I was the first, you know, month or two of the season where I was just really trying to like out execute everybody because I knew I, I could compete. Um, I felt similarly in double A. Um, in triple A, obviously, you know, if you, you know, look at my numbers, uh, I think my ERA starts with, uh, it's double digits for sure, but um, I felt like I was, I, I learned a lot from from AAA, pitching in AAA, and you know it's it's one of those levels where you know, you know you have guys coming up from AA, but you also have guys coming back down from the major leagues. It's it's a big jump. It's 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 probably the biggest jump, but 
um, you know, I felt like I could compete. And I think that was, it was a valuable experience to give me the confidence that when I do execute, I think I can get anybody out in the world. And I think that's where, you know, I'm, I'm kind of channeling that going forward. One thing I wanted to uh, ask you about is just like, just general, like, like minor league stories, like minor league grind stories, if you have any good ones to share. Because I think one, um, I remember I saw this, I don't know if you saw this in like random, random jokes or something, like Max Engelbrecht was like posting some, some well-known uh, person, like they they just did a podcast on Twitter and they were like, I guess he was listening to it. Mm -hmm. Like some, I, I forget, I forget what industry this person worked in, but they were like well-credentialed or whatever. And they were talking about the dynamics of uh, money and sports. And I think they quoted, they were talking about how ridiculous the gap was between minor and major league. Yeah. Except they had no idea what they were talking about because they said something about like people in minor leagues making like 80K a year <laughs> and how that how big of a gap that is with major league players. And like they make a fuck ton less than 80K. It's more like 8K. You know what, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just like, People, I think, I think people even that like have a general understanding of how big the the gap is, uh, still underestimate it. So yeah, like from from your point of view, uh, yeah, give, give me give me some good, give me some well, good minor league juice or just just how, how that grind feels firsthand. Yeah, so I think eight K is probably more accurate than yeah. I mean eighty K is ridiculous. I don't I don't think I've made money a single year of my career. I've especially including the off season, you know, yeah. cost of off season training and stuff like that. Um, yeah, they're like, you know, my first year in Pro Bowl, I'm staying at the Red Roof Inn. My roommates are cockroaches. Like, literally, there's cockroaches, you know, climbing down the yeah. walls. I do have another roommate. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you have this, this, this idea of Pro Bowl growing up where you're like, oh, this is like the big time, right? Like, this yeah. is where, like, you know, things get real. Like, you're treated like a professional. And then, like, you're staying at the Red Roof Inn. And, like, yeah. you know, there's, um, you know, cockroaches climbing all over you while you're sleeping. And, you're making my first paycheck was I think three hundred dollars yeah. for the first two weeks of my professional career, and I was just like, "What? Like this is this is real? Like this is this is what it, this is what the pro pro grind is?" Yeah, um, the, the spread is like PB and J sandwiches. Or oh, did, or did you even or, worse than that? Like, if, yeah, I mean, we could make PB. Like, There's probably you know moldy bread and peanut butter and yeah. stuff at the field, but you know we would get like you know crappy salad. It, the, the the food they would give us is probably four hundred calories. Yeah, but, like yeah, um, yeah. So a lot of those issues arose in 2019 and. I think through COVID and after that, things got a little bit better and things are, are definitely trending in the right direction, especially with, you know, the recent minor league unionization. But, you know, I know, I know guys who like my, my, one of my good friends, he, he was in low A to start the year last year. Um, so he had to get a, a lease in low A yeah. and he was responsible for getting, you know, his own, his own housing before the MLB instituted like their, their housing policy. And he got promoted to high A and, basically had to get a lease in, in Brooklyn. So he was in St. Lucie and Brooklyn. So he was simultaneously oh, wow. paying for a house in St. Lucie and Brooklyn. He tried subleasing the, the, the place in St. Lucie, yeah. but his lease had said that he wasn't allowed to sublet it. Yeah. So then he ended up getting in trouble for that. And so he was basically simultaneously paying two leases, having oh, to deal broke. with all he's that. He's broke like, then. Yeah. It's like, I mean, like, <laughs> lease in Brooklyn, bro. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it is a bit ridiculous. And I think, like I said, things have gotten a lot better and I will hopefully continue to get better. But, um, you know, luckily I, I've been supported by my parents and stuff like that. I haven't had to, or yeah. I've, I've, I got some help from my parents. So I've, I've been really lucky in that aspect. So I haven't had to like suffer through a lot of the grind, but um, it's, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Some of the conditions that we've had to, to live yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. Most of, uh, I'm assuming most of transportation is like overnight buses, right? That's the most popular form of transportation. Yeah. So pre pre COVID we would, so this is actually, you know, my first year of pro ball, I started out in Kingsport, Tennessee and end up getting promoted to, to Brooklyn, which was the high A short season high or sorry, short season a at the time. And Kingsport was the, like the low rookie ball yeah. or whatever. Um, 
So I, I pitch once. I pitch once in Brooklyn. We we take this road trip to Vermont. We're all on one bus. It's over. It's an overnight road trip. We finish the game before it, like 11 p.m. Hop on the bus. It's like seven hour road trip to Vermont. We're all on one bus. So like I'm trying to like sleep in my seat while like 300 pound you know catcher sitting next to me like snoring. I'm like, okay, this is not gonna work. Uh, so I'm, I basically get no sleep. We get to the hotel at 6 a.m. and I'm like, okay, great. Like finally I'll get to maybe rest for a couple hours before the game. We have to go to the field. I, uh, I, I, I lay down in bed. I get a call at 8 a.m. from our coach who was like, or from our manager. And he said, yeah, actually, you know, they, they ran out of pitching in Kingsport. We need to send you back down there. Uh, so we need you to pack your bags and head to the airport. And I'm like, oh my God. End up heading to the airport, fly to Charlotte as the connection. It's, it's like pouring rain there. Yeah. I end up missing my connection flight to Kingsport, Tennessee. And like, I don't end up getting back to Kingsport until like 3 a.m. Yeah. You know, have to pitch the next day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of that, it was just the travel, the travel was ridiculous. I, I think the, the, I, we would joke around that the farm director had it out for me. He obviously didn't, but it was just, uh, it was just not the, not the best situation to, to, after I was so excited about getting promoted and having yeah. to go through that. Did you get better at uh, just being able to fall asleep like in, in uncomfortable spots? Honestly, the uh, noise canceling headphones have been huge. Which, really? I don't know, not the shill for like you know Apple yeah. or whatever, but yeah, um, the Max Scherzer tens that that Max Scherzer bought us when he was rehabbing for us. But uh, the, <laughs> he uh, yeah, so like just putting on noise canceling headphones and like putting on like white noise or something has been has been big. I was about to say, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the transportation uh, rough situations I've been in, some of them have been self imposed. Like or not self imposed, but it's like you know, nobody's make like I'm I'm trying to do all these things, and then you like sometimes you have to, you know, red eyes, uh, do a lot of traveling, whatever. But I, I've gone a lot better over the years, dude. I used to, like, I think one of the first big international trips I took like right after college, I went with some college buddies to Iceland. I flew, uh, oh, it yeah. was like a sixteen hour flight. Didn't sleep a wink on the plane, bro. And we got off. We got off and it was like 4 a.m. there. And it was like, all right, like right, let's just try to like ride the day out. And it was terrible. Um, I, I've gone a lot better now. Like now, now I can fall asleep on buses. Even if like someone's like, honestly, I think like, again, this is like, I'm not saying I'm doing this on a regular, but like I've been in situations, especially recently, where I'll have like, yeah, a lot, like a larger person next to me on the bus. And then I'll literally just like, it, it'll kind of help, dude. It'll just help with like this, this slight lean. <laughs> And then I'll be able to pass out for a couple hours. Um, yeah, rest it, rest your head on a shoulder, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing I was going to ask you about uh, about minor league, like how's the how's the camaraderie with people when they go through that, or it's like are people like kind of too focused on their own like path? So that's actually a really out? interesting thing. So yeah, college is obviously super team focused, at yeah. least in my experience. Where everybody is like, even if you're not playing, you know, you're like you're supporting your teammates. You're you're trying to you know help the team win. Like you're doing everything you can to like yeah. be a good teammate. Um, Pro ball is obviously much more individualistic in, in the sense that like if I do badly, like I could get fired, right? Like yeah. I could get released. Like yeah. somebody else is going to take my job. Um, so that's like a very interesting dynamic. But the, the camaraderie's, you know, going through those kind of tough times together, not to romanticize it, but it definitely did bring us together in some aspect, like having to suffer through that grind. Um, yes, it's like frat hazing, basically. I mean, yeah, it's from, from the billion dollar organization <laughs> that's frat hazing us. And uh, the especially like and you think about like i'm a bullpen guy like think about yeah. the bullpen guy we spend so much time together every yeah. day like we spend more time together like than we do playing like yeah. we, play, we spend hours and hours and hours together in the bullpen talking about like what's going on talking about our lives and um so that definitely brings us together yeah are you able this is kind of a random question but I, I've, I've noticed this a couple times with people that like pro guys that come in or like when i say pro guys i mean like people like people trying to break into the big leagues um there'll be people that 
perform pretty well at driveline or uh, like pro day or whatever but they're bullpen guys but often like need a good amount of time to warm up this is what my 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 first uh roommate when i moved up to seattle I hope we should shout out Robert Robbins. He uh, he pitched in the minors for the Cubs for a little bit, okay. but um, really good guy, still good friend. I caught up with him recently, but he 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 had like a ninety five ninety six fastball and a, and a pretty nasty slider. Okay, um, but he needed like third like 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 for for pro day twenty twenty no twenty nineteen. He got he got signed uh, off that, and he was nasty in it. Like like pitched like the best I've seen him pitch, and he was you know he spent like forty minutes like warming up. And like he's told me, like you know, obviously, like when you're when when you're when you're pitching in a, a minor league game, like you don't always have like you sometimes have just like a quick heads up, like yo, get warm, whatever, time to go. And he's always needed to kind of get in the group of things. I, I saw him pitch against a high school team, and first inning he gave up like a triple, another hard hit ball to you know center field, and then like next inning he like three Ks, you know. So it's yeah. like, but obviously you you can't afford to do that when you're like already like just one of many minor leaguers on, on a minor mm-hmm. on a on a team. And, and you're already, it's already like a long shot to, to get to the next level. You, you just got to be ready to go. So, so how, how, how is that? How is that for, for, for you? Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's, it's, it's dealing with the constraints that you, yeah. you have to work in, right? Like that's the reality is like, you have to adjust to like, what's going to be expected of you. And if you need 40 minutes to yeah. warm up, like yeah, too bad, like figure it yeah. out, like yeah. figure out how to, how to make that work. And I, I think a lot of that comes down to like understanding the game and understanding when you might be used. Yeah. So you can kind of, if that's what, if you do need a little bit more time, then you can, prepare just like you know earlier in the game when it feels like you might need yeah. to get going a little bit sooner but yeah what, it's, what, it comes down your, to being professional what, what, what's your bullpen warm-up i'm I, I warm up really quickly which i don't know if that's i don't know if that's maybe you know a bad thing or whatever but i <laughs> i i get like i can probably throw like five pitches off and on because yeah. go okay um, that's how yeah so i don't know if it's just and i think that's been an advantage for me with the pitch clock also where i i adjusted really easily to that just yeah. because i'm so used to just getting back on the mountain going and not having yeah. to you know yeah. Some guys have to, you know, the, the videos, you know, like the 12 minute at bats that are yeah. actually like six pitches long or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, that's, I've just always been quick to like get back on the mound. So that's been an easy adjustment for me too. Yeah. I was going to say, so uh, given obviously your, your perspective on analytics and the technology and everything, like, where do you think, uh, so, I mean, I'm assuming to, to kind of bear the lead, like, I'm assuming you're going to be like, you know, 99th percentile. Or, or, or like around like you know your understanding of technology and analytics while still being an active player is gonna be really really high um where do you think most people most people's like comprehension of track man readings and like how that plays into things like era or fip or swing and misses like where do you think your contemporaries understanding of that lies and do you think it's, it's changed over the years yeah so um so it's definitely changed a lot so i think this is an interesting conversation if you look at something like a sport like golf, you know, baseball, baseball is almost known for at this point, like old retired players who constantly shit on the game, yeah. constantly don't understand a lot of the new breakthroughs in technology. And yeah. I, when you think about what's the difference between that and golf, where, you know, my dad's getting lessons from a 80 year old golf pro who's yeah. using the track man and like yeah. t- teaching him all these like advanced metrics about golf. You, you want to top golf them all, by the way? Uh, I am going to top golf. Let's go, like, let's go. Lefty, but, but lefty yeah. swing. Like, uh... <laughs> I was about to say, you're me. At least one person I can I can outswing. I'm terrible at golf. Um, yeah. So, but like, but why is golf so yeah. much like more accessible or like accepted by the older generation? 
And I think it's because golf, you can continue to play as you're yeah. in the older generation, right? Yeah. If I'm, if I'm an old retired golf pro, like I can still go out on the course and I can still like see right. how the technology can help me improve yeah. baseball. When you're done, like, you know, I'm not going to like, maybe some guys play pickup or you know beer league softball or men's leagues or something like that, but it's never the same where, you know, I can see that like, you know, hitting three mile an hour or having a three miles an hour more at bat speed is going to like help me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that's the, the reality is when you're a player and you're actively in it, you begin to understand a lot of, you know, how that stuff can really truly benefit you, how those tools can truly benefit you. And I think as orgs, so what I've realized in the Mets organization is in the last few years, if they, as they've really started to embrace technology and analytics, guys ask a ton of questions. Guys are super curious because they care about their careers. They're like yeah. taking ownership of their careers. They want to know why they want to know how they can get better. And it's like, they, you know, they, we talk amongst ourselves, we talk to the organization, our coaches and, you know, guys are extremely curious about that. And, and sometimes maybe you don't have to give them all the information Like yeah. you don't have to tell them like, Oh, like this exact seam orientation causes this, yeah. you know, wake to happen around the ball, which causes extra movement. You just yeah. got to tell them like, Hey, like, you know, if you, you cut the ball a little bit, like try throwing a two seam, like yeah. sometimes you have to like explain it to them or not like you have to be, you have to have feel for how you explain it to them. And you know, some guys don't want to overthink some guys yeah. like do worse when they're overthinking. Yeah. Um, but other guys, you know, they're, they, they want to know everything and they want to understand it all. And I think as it's become more and more accepted and more and more used by the organizations, it's guys are definitely embracing it. And I think they're, they're recognizing how much of an impact this kind of stuff can have on their careers to help them improve. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what about like working as a, as an analyst, like the, the work you've done for us so far, do you think that's like changed any, anything about your perspective or, or like what other, you know, what other things have you learned? The yeah. last couple months. I mean, a lot of the stuff I've been doing, uh, you know, for driveline has been on the hitting side, which I've found really interesting yeah. because that's not something I've ever had to really know. Yeah. Um, so just getting to learn a lot about like, you know, the big three for hitting and like understanding why those are important, yeah. like how those, how those are applicable, how you can train those. I think that's been really interesting for me and honestly applying that to my own pitching and understanding, you know, what hitters are trying to do basically yeah. like what they're, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to get better at. And then I can take that information in and try to, game plan against that myself yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I've, I've really enjoyed that aspect of it getting to understand like the hitting side of things um yeah for the for the most part i think like that's that's like the newest thing that i've kind of interacted with or kind of come up with in, in the on the job so far yeah um you know I've, also with my rehab i think it's been working a lot with with dylan and you know uh, uh sigmund and some of the other guys who are who are work at driveline are in, interested in that and um, you know, seeing some of the work that Dean Jackson used to do with like the the the, the pulse driven uh, return to throw, I think has yeah. been been really cool to see. And I think that's something that um, you know I'm going to take ownership of and, and really do when I'm when I'm at my return to throw and trying to trying to you know really Let take a data. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. take that approach to it, and and I think that's going to be very valuable for me too. So so what's your day to day rehab look like right right now? Um, so I can't really do anything with my right hand, which is a little bit annoying. I you know, got a little bit more extension today. Yeah. Um, Easy, bro. I know. <laughs> uh, I actually, I didn't even realize this. I was doing like a dry rep throw earlier. And I yeah. like, luckily this doesn't let me get into Valgus, but I, uh, Dylan was like, what are you doing? Like you're doing dry reps. And I'm like, oh shit. Uh, but I, 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 I can do a lot of left arm stuff and a lot of lower half stuff. And I, you know, I, was, I saw you copying my lifting yeah, weight yeah, room yeah. earlier. You know, I was, I was doing my, my forward, forward lunges and you were like, oh yeah, like, Got to one up you yeah. and do like four times the weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was about. To, I, I, you know, I was gonna say that part. I'm glad you said that part. Uh, no. Um. So, 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 when do you think? What do you think your schedule is? Re return to throw like, like when do you think you? When are you expecting to start throwing lightly? 
Uh, do you kind of have an idea? Is that I think it's probably year? four or five months in. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. I think a lot of the approach we're taking is kind of less based on the calendar and more so asking like asking my body questions. Like I've heard someone else say it like this, like asking my body questions and like seeing how it answers. And yeah. when my body's ready to do something, we'll do it. And when it's yeah. not ready to do something, we'll back off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. I, I guess I was going to say from my advanced scouting point of view, right? Like we, like that's, that's part of the work you've been, you've been doing when, when you haven't, uh, been on the, been sidelined by the, the heavy drugs you had to take, uh, <laughs> during TJ. Um, so, so what do you think is, what do you think are advantages that people might not realize? I guess pun intended, even though I didn't realize until I'm, I'm saying it now, but like, what do you think are, are, are pros to our advanced plan that might not be super clear to the public, right? And, and for our advanced plan, that's our year round service. We provide a mostly, I mean, it's, it's a little bit pricier. So a lot of people, a lot of our clients are MLB players or minor league players um, that, that, are, that are close to breaking in. And, and we, you know, we, we provide uh, obviously training when you're in gym assessments, um, scattering reports, advanced reports, some of the, some of the one shooter stuff you've developed. Yep. Yeah. What, 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 what are, what are, what are things we provide that you think might not be as uh, obvious to the casual bystander? Yeah. Well, I mean, just, just from my like experience with the teams, a lot of the times, you know, and maybe this changes organization to organization, but a lot of the times like those scouting reports that you're talking about, yeah aren't very individualized. They're not yeah. very, they're, they're more general saying like, this is this guy's tendencies. This is what he tends to do. And I think there's a lot to be said for digging down and saying like, okay, if I'm a hitter and I'm facing this pitcher, I don't really care how he throws. Yeah. So if I'm a right-handed hitter, I don't really care how he throws to lefties. I don't really care how he throws. If I'm like a, a righty power guy, Yeah. I don't really care how he throws to like the righty slap hitters, right? Like yeah. I want to know how he's doing or what, how he's approaching facing hitters yeah. like me, Yeah. Uh, whether that's pitch mix, pitch, like, yeah, pitch mix, like pitch location stuff like that and like understanding exactly the approach the guy's using you know to face me if i'm a, if i'm a pitcher it's the same thing right like for me i'm a submarine pitcher i don't really care how you know the the hitter i'm facing i don't really care how he's you know facing a normal traditional over the top right-handed pitcher like that does not and that's a lot of the times what we get with yeah. with scouting yeah. reports is like okay this is a generic scouting report like this is how he faces yeah right-handed pitchers and it's like okay well that doesn't really help me. My specific pitch mix is much different than, yeah. you know, Justin Verlander's specific pitch mix. Yeah. You know, obviously outside of the 20 miles an hour difference, <laughs> but like the, the, like how the pitch shapes, like all of that is extremely important. And, you know, I think that's, that's something that we can like that I, I think is really cool that we offer is, is the more individual individualization of it yeah. where the, you know, it's, it's more based on who you are as a player versus like, who they are as a player. And yeah. I think that's, I think that's a, an interesting difference where it's like, where you want to pitch to your strengths, you want to pitch to like what's important to you and like not necessarily based on like the hitter generically as, yeah. as, a, as a person. And um, yeah, so I've, I found that super valuable. That's something I've been even thinking about in my own career, like before I discovered yeah. like the driveline, you know, driveline and driveline advantage plan and stuff like that. Cause those scouting reports are so generic. That yeah. Get into. yeah. And I think the, uh, the one thing I've, I just kind of used as a heuristic is like, okay, does this guy, is this guy like a flat path, flat path guy or like a, a steep path guy? Yeah. Like I would, you know, kind of change how I pitch a guy based on, on that. And that's basically like, I just have to like do my own research on that and like find uh, like, okay, what's his home run percentage? What's his ground ball yeah. percentage? And like figure kind of like guess what his bat path is. Yeah. But, you know, I think having, having that done more systematically yeah. and like more quantitatively yeah. is, is very valuable. Yeah. Uh, also, I was going to ask you, I, I, I just remembered that you're from Michigan now, um, even though we were talking about it a couple months ago when I went to uh, winning Michigan. What, what, what's, what's your, I mean, 
Well, what's your favorite sports team? Yeah, so this is this is inspired by Wasp, who was on the podcast. Oh, yeah, and, you know, Red wearing Wings. his his Red Wings jersey. I figured I had the Rep Detroit too. He's got the Pistons old Pistons hoodie from the Bad Boys era here. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, I'm a Detroit fan for everything. It's kind of tough right now. Though the Lions, Lions are looking good. You are know, they? Yeah, I haven't got, followed football in, in a while. Yeah, got a got a new coach. He's he's an electric factory. And, what, 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 how, how did he do last year? They were nine and eight, so that was like oh, they, wow. were, they weren't they weren't expected to do great, but they ended up winning record i mean red wings uh, are, in, are in a playoff spot now i think right yeah they've That's been playing really well too yeah. the, the wings yeah. yeah yeah and you know tigers are just the tigers and you know they don't spend money and they they're they don't develop guys and of course that's you know that's that's why they are where they are and you know but and then the the pistons are also in a pistons are rough right now yeah <laughs> are, are they are they the like uh are they the worst seed right now, or or worst right? It's probably close, yeah. So yeah. you know, tank for Wembenyama. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, <laughs> they, 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 yeah, they should have the worst record. Um, man, yeah, the, the Pistons. I mean, that 04, uh, that 04 run is epic. I mean, that's that's one of the that's got to be one of like the biggest finals upset. I, I feel like I think that might be the only team in NBA history to win a championship without a mvp something like that or like a current future without an mvp team. without him like an all-star basically yeah, like were, that video or it something was crazy. it was just like everyone yeah. everyone was solid you know chauncey yeah, and yeah. Rick hamilton and Cha- chauncey ben wallace yeah yeah uh rashid, rashid and and, and Tayshaun Tayshaun Prince, Prince. that was a big five right there yeah dude uh, yeah i i i really like to i mean like i i don't i don't i don't really care as much oh, so okay so context i'm a i'm a sacramento kings fan so also also like rough. the beam what's up like the beam yeah yeah, yeah r- r- rough uh <laughs> pretty much 20 years at this point. So I, I was like a Lakers hater growing up. Right. Uh-huh. And now it's like, I, I have appreciation for those teams. Like I don't, I don't actually hold any resentment. Um, I was actually bummed when, when Kobe died. I mean, not that I wouldn't, okay. Not that I wouldn't be bummed, <laughs> yeah, bummed well, with Lakers, but, but I'm just saying like, I actually felt like really, uh, really sad, but I think um, that's an interesting aspect. Sorry, just sorry to interrupt, but like, that's an interesting aspect that I've kind of perspective that I've gained since playing pro ball is like, the teams don't really matter, right? Like yeah. these players aren't necessarily choosing to go to these teams because yeah. they're like, "Oh, I'm a Yankees fan. I hate the Red Sox." It's yeah. Like, yeah. Well, they're they're paying the bills and like you know. Yeah. So I've I've gained gained a deeper appreciation for like, you know, like the Tom Brady's and the Nick Sabans who are like, yeah. you know, usually people are like, "Oh, I hate them because they're so successful." And then you know, as a player, you're like, "Well, wow!" Like I appreciate yeah. them because like they, you know, they put in the work. They're really successful, and I think yeah. that's like an interesting perspective change that I've had. It's less team focused, more player focused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same with me, but like again. I'm talking years before his death, but like I used to, I used to like hate Kobe, and then like it, like later, especially like coming back from, especially like the year before he he tore his Achilles, and then uh, years after, I just I just like started having a way bigger appreciation uh for for like his legacy and everything. But um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, one one thing that resonates with me from the that series, I read uh Phil Jackson's book that he wrote about the the, okay. the season. It was called like the last season or something. Uh, and because he thought he was going to retire and never come back from coaching, obviously he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, yeah, one tidbit I remember from his, uh, and and you know who who knows how much Phil Jackson just wrote the memoirs to like annoy Kobe or whatever or <laughs> or Jeannie Buss or or whatever. But uh, there's one story uh, I think going into game two because yeah, because the Lakers had Gary Payton and Carl Malone, fucking the most Hall of Famer lineup ever. Like it was Shaq like that, Kobe, yeah, 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 Shaq, Kobe, Gary Payton. Carl Malone and I think uh I think like I think their small forward is like Devin George or something or, or like whatever the small forward is like a you know uh just replaceable wing basically okay. with, with those four but uh and obviously Gary Payne was like old but still like a, a semi lead defender and you're just getting shredded by Chauncey and and Phil Jackson tells a story like before game two or game three that Kobe just like volunteers to guard Chauncey like right before the game or like or like in a, in a huddle and like 
Phil Jackson's like, no, 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 that, you know, that's stupid. Like, no, I don't want you guarding the, the point guard. And then like after that, but like, like, you know, like nobody said anything. And after that, like Kobe went up to him and it's like, oh, I just want to see if like uh, Gary was like punked, you know, because like otherwise I was expecting him to, like if, if he was in it, he would have been like, no, I got him. What are you talking about? But he didn't yeah. say anything. He just like let Kobe volunteer to guard him. Um, so anyways, oh, four Pistons got the Lakers yeah. number, baby. <laughs> Yeah, the, that was that was like a legendary team growing up. That's when I like started liking basketball and stuff. But uh, yeah, Detroit, the state of Detroit sports is in disarray at the moment. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. When were you last in Michigan? Uh, so I was there right before my surgery. So I went home like right before my surgery. Got to see my family a little bit, and um, yeah. So I was I wasn't there for super long. But yeah. yeah, but but you you your family lives like in Detroit or Detroit suburbs. Yeah, so Detroit like the the it's yeah technically Metro Detroit sub so Detroit suburbs. What 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 town is it? Uh, so my my dad lives in Dearborn, my mom lives in Plymouth, and my my grandma lives in uh, Westland, and then okay. some of my other family members live in like Canton, Plymouth area too. So okay, because I was telling you that the only spot I'd been at was uh, Shelby Township. Yeah, I think that's a little bit north of us. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, awesome. Uh, good good to have you on. Um, yeah, thanks for we'll, having uh, me. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll chop it up during Top Golf, and we'll see how many. Uh, how many minor league players are inspired to to, to show up for pitch design after <laughs> after that uh glowing endorsement of, of yeah just of, just of don't throw an 84 mile an hour fastball right down the middle of the franchi cordero oh yeah yeah That's yeah, yeah. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna plug that too yeah, yeah. okay give, give me a quick give me give me a quick story on that yeah uh first time i were pitching in triple a i was like okay like this guy franchi cordero whoever like i don't care he's like i'm behind him 3-0 and i'm like i don't want to walk him you know i'll probably yeah. just like you know i'll just fill up the zone with my fastball and try to try to get back in the count Three one fastball right down the middle. He takes it. Great. Three or sorry, three zero fastball right down the middle. He takes it. Great. Three one. Try to throw the exact same pitch. Eighty four point one miles an hour. He turns it around at one sixteen at a thirty three. <laughs> I think it, I think the estimated distance was literally like five hundred feet. It was, it was a top five hardest hit ball in all of minor league baseball that year. Um, Tristan like, Casas did something similar to me. So we don't we don't have to talk about it. Those big lefty right handed. Or, yeah. Sorry, those big lefty Red Sox players. You know. It's okay. I mean, the moment you hit it, you, you knew it was gone. Yeah, you, there's a video. The video exists. And I like turn around and I just like I'm watching it, and there's this guy in the background and he just like he's watching it and he just like puts his hands on his head like, oh my god. Uh, yeah, they don't really do that in Division Three baseball, so I wasn't really prepared for that. It's okay. All right, cheers. Thanks, Kara. Peace.